0: episode 29 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast in which we discuss well-being and sustainability in the built environment. I'm your host Matt Morley, founder of Biophilica Wellbeing Design and BioFit Health and Fitness. Today we're in Vancouver, Canada talking to my good friend Raw Alexander, an integrative health expert with a strong eastern influence to his work philosophy. Our conversation covers everything from environmental psychology, the connections between Feng Shui, modern health sciences and biohacking, organizing a healthy home, detoxifying your home environment, defining an intention and an energy level for different rooms around a house, hacking the home office for productivity, as he's done, his tips on essential oil aromatherapy and the ancient history of healthy buildings we're not talking about. If you like this type of content, please hit subscribe. You can find my contact details in the show notes Raw is at rawalexander.com. Yesta, let let's do this. Well, super to have you back or have you on the show for us to talk once again. It's been a year since we last spoke. Uh, I would really like to just start with, with your interpretation of what you do, where you're at and uh, yeah, how you you contribute to this world of green and healthy places from your base in Vancouver.
1: Well, basically what I do is I I come from a what I call integrative health. It's a great health and weight loss. You know, weight loss is always the key when it comes to health. Nowadays, just the amounts of chronic obesity and health, you know, health is weight. Loss is the main thing. If you can lose weight in any healthy way, it's good. No matter what diet you're on, but I go past just weight loss. Like the weight loss is great, but you know, I really like. To, I have a saying, my, my mother's slogan is live stronger, longer, and better. And that's kind of the way I follow with my coaching stronger is saying okay let's get the because you know muscle is the it's kind of the, the the organ of longevity they call it so if we get stronger first which is your more traditional nutrition and fitness and then we go into the longer which is getting more into the micronutrition some of the, the more interesting aspects the, the the little more less well-known aspects and then the better is Obviously, like, you know, we'll talk about travel or bettering your career or bettering passions, all that sort of stuff. So I come at health from a very broad point of view, but in phases, not to overwhelm people. And then the environment is is a big part of those. So I have my, what I call my um, bagua of health, which is kind of a term I borrowed from feng shui, which is your eight areas of health. Because it just happened, my eight areas and feng shui before I even learned about it, almost matched. But what I don't have really described on the website very good yet is the border around that bagua is actually your environment so the way it works is your environment is on the outside pushes in towards the inside and that center square is your health so that's the way I look at it kind of like a uh, kind of phasing in (laughs) (laughs) you you
0: mentioned the idea of how you in a way sort of independently developed your thinking and if if you want to call it your value system your philosophy and then you found that actually correlated with a, a far more uh a far wider system around feng shui it reminds me you know, I, I had a similar experience with this whole sort of biophilic design stuff i was just digging around into how you could bring the outside world in and then suddenly you stumble across a term that opens up a whole world to you and you're like oh wow okay it's exactly what i've been talking about and thinking about but someone's already defined it so but what led you towards feng shui in the first place so like i know you had time in asia would it was that sort of formative in that process for you
1: yeah, I mean, I took I took psychology in school, and I was always interested in kind of East. I took you, know, I st- I took a few classes on like Eastern religions and stuff like that. So I was always kind of interested in it. And then I went off to Asia, and I lived in Hong Kong at the beginning. And Hong Kong is, you know, it's a mecca for Feng Shui architecture. So just started goofing around and learning a little bit about it on my YouTube channel. I have, you know, a feng shui tour I do where I take you and I kind of show you the interesting feng shui aspects. But yeah, just it was really just more like just kind of fun. I liked learning about temples and I kind of like the, the psychology. And so I just started reading about environmental psychology and how the environment affects us. And it just kept leading me to. Uh, Feng Shui and Feng Shui. And then from Feng Shui, I started to learn about Vastu, which is the traditional Indian version. So Vastu actually came first, I found out. And then Feng Shui, because almost everything came from India. Almost all knowledge at the end of the day really came from ancient, ancient India uh, and then ancient Greece, but even ancient India before that, and then spread, especially in Eastern philosophy, right? So it spread up into, you know, up into Thailand and then it spread up into China. So Chinese medicine is actually based on Ayurveda. Um, thai massage, Thai yoga is based on all the yogas, Tai Chi qi and Qigong, all that all comes from yoga. But getting off track, but yeah, that's, that's how I kind of I started learning about feng shui in in Hong Kong. And then I just continued learning about it. I bought some books on it did a couple courses on it. I got a chance to interview a really, really cool contemporary feng shui master on a trip to Hong Kong. And right then I really liked her take on it because her take was a very modern take. Um, She comes from it for a little more from a relationship background where I just noticed right away what I really noticed was feng shui had so many connections with modern health sciences. It's just the terminology was very different. Like I remember the first time I was in Hong Kong, my very first day I arrived in Hong Kong, a friend picked me up and we were driving through an area called Stanley, which is kind of like their beach area. And he said, do you know why these buildings have these big, win- big spaces in them? And I said, no, no idea why there's a hole in the middle of a building. And he said, that's for the dragons to pass through. And I was like, all right, Game of Thrones here, whatever. But then dragons represented chi, which represented the wind, which represented air. So what actually they'll have in these buildings a lot is the air circulation will be placed into these. So it allows the air to circulate more through the building. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Coming from a health point of view, it makes sense to have the cleaner air and have this kind of gap in the middle of the building where the air can flow through better. Help with the ventilation. So that's kind of where it came from and then like i said i traveled india and learned about vastu happened to know there's only about 10 books that i know of really re- written on the topic and i happen to be friends with one of the authors of that so that was really interesting state at his ayurvedic re- retreat in india um, had him on my podcast you know and talked to him about vastu cuz it just yeah so it's just very interesting how these ancient traditions and what we call modern health or even biohacking a lot of them are the same related just different topics like we we talk about them in different terms I should say
0: I think that there's there's something there's something about fundamental truths that many of us get to from different angles at different times of our lives but we often seem to um yeah conjoin in sort of similar concepts you know I'm reading a book at the moment called the Barefoot Architect that's all about more of an ancestral health approach to to how you would design homes and, and whether you call them dragons or you call them ventilation uh, courtyards or what have you. But again, you're getting to the same concepts, right? So I know that you're thinking when, when you describe your, your relationship around functional feng shui now, you, you have your sort of four pillars. So organization, detoxification, intention and optimization. So how does that, how does that work in terms of your, your advisory to a client or to an individual?
1: Well, I guess functional, like feng shui, you know, a lot of it is, it's a lot of, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, feng shui is crap. There's no, it's it's all superstition. I'm like, well, you don't really understand it then. Well, really what it is, it is an art. It's also a science, but it's a, a lot of it's about psychology and the way it's about organizing your home. So it affects you in a positive way, whether it's psychology or psychically, or, you know, physically. So the way I describe it to clients is I, term, I try not to use the term feng shui a lot when I'm talking to people, but I'll just talk about healthy home design. And so the very first one is the organization. And I think, you know, any, any book, any women's health, everybody talks about decluttering, but there is truth behind it. Decluttering, organizing your house, arranging things, getting rid of the crap, getting rid of broken things. Um, it's like, you know, psychology tells us that when we have a desk that's all cluttered, our eyes are constantly scanning and it's a little bit harder to stay on focus. So by straightening things up and minimizing your area, it just allows you to stay on target a little better. It helps you to keep your attention. I mean, I think that everybody's had that. You walk into a really messy, overwhelming room, your just senses are overwhelmed. So the first step is very easy and that's just organization. And then from there, you can, once it's organized and you got it, you know things lined up. You got your books stacked up. Then you go through. And I don't really like the term minimalization, but I'm a bit of a minimalist. But things that either bring you function, so like you have cooking tools that you really need. Things that that help your life be better, or things that bring you joy, or getting rid of things that bring you negativity. For instance, you got something broken, and you just never get around to throwing it away or fixing it, but it's always kind of bothering you. Oh, there's that broken lamp- lampshade over there. That broken thing, or Maybe it's something that maybe not a great relationship, a breakup had, and you're kind of keeping or something that was given to you from guilt, but you don't like it, and you're thinking, Man, I really don't like that, but you know, grandma died and she gave it to me, I feel bad for getting rid of it. So that's where the organization sort of part fits in. From there, you move on to what I call um, I always forget the terms. Um, from there, we move on to Detox. Oh, yeah detoxification. Thank you. And literally, that is it. That is just detoxing your environment mostly. And I'm talking about that from a mostly from a chemical point of view. So that is getting rid of any harsh scents, harsh odors, um, anything that could potentially have some negative effects on you breathing wise or food wise. So That is just, again, that's the more the physical side, right? The first part was kind of the psychological side. The second part's the physical side, because we're learning more and more about how so many man-made, and I'm not anti-man-made things, obviously, at all, but there's a lot of things that are just not that great for us when it comes to health-wise, So one of the next things I do is I just detox the house, and I say, you know, if you can't eat with it, or like if you couldn't put it in your mouth, you probably shouldn't be cleaning with it. So especially if you got little kids, right? They put it on, they get it on their hands, they put it in their mouth. So things like Lysol, things like these really harsh antibacterials, I mean, they can affect your gut biome. Studies have shown that kids who come from homes that use green cleaners. Uh, tend to weigh less than kids who come from homes that use heavy, harsh chemicals, right? But now people who make the argument, well, is that because the house from the green cleaners, are they more concerned with healthy eating and getting their kids active period? So is it causation or correlation? Well, we don't know exactly, but it looks like when they've done studies, the gut biomes of these kids are different. And a lot of it has been related or at least strongly possible to the things that they're cleaning their homes with. So for me, detoxification is an easy no-brainer. Like for instance, um, I brought a few pieces here I can show you. Right? Like we use a triple of strength of vinegar over Windex. Right? It's just I wouldn't put Windex in my mouth. I could shoot that in my mouth. <laughs> vinegar, right? So like, it's fine. For soap, we use Dr. Bronner's. $18. Ah,
0: Dr. Bronner's, the good stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this to clean your dishes, although I don't use it for dishes. I usually just buy a decent, uh, like, natural dish soap. But I mean, we use it. I use it for shaving, shampoo. I uh, use it for, sh- I mean, this is everything. We, kid, we all just use it. It's, it. It does everything. Now, people say, well, okay, well, what if you need to not just, you know, you need to disinfect your house? You know, you got to get bleach or you need, like, Clorox. I'm like, no, I just, you know, hydrogen peroxide right there works, you know, works very good. Um, and then, that's just the basic cleaning supplies. You can take it up a step. You know, like for sunblock, we use pretty much just a natural zinc sunblock. So little things like that, that if it doesn't affect your life really negatively, but something like if it's going to create a major hassle in your life you get rid of it, then don't. But if was something simple like switching Windex for vinegar, switching a laundry soda for some crappy, you know, um, for breezy laundry. soap, you know, using essential oils for smells instead of, like I said, glade fresheners. To me, they're no brainers. So that's detoxification. Then you move on to the little more feng shui element, which would be the intention. And this, is, I kind of like this. Every room in your home or every space you're in has an intention. It has a purpose it's supposed to serve, right? So what's a bedroom supposed to do? Supposed to help you. You're supposed to sleep in your bedroom. You're supposed to be able to kind of relax and wind, you know, shut down in your bedroom. So that's what the bedroom's intention is. It's a place to sleep. The kitchen has an intention of being a place where you go to get healthy. It's the number one key to health in your home is your kitchen. Um, your social area. I mean, the, the term social is what it's intended to do. So if you have the room set up where it's, there's an anti-social, not facing each other or whatever, then that's not going to work. So I look at, I maximize the intention of every room. And then you can get into things like the, the colors you use, the yin, the yang energy. That's just, it's just, just means does it have a powerful energy, like something that gets you excited. Like an office should have yang energy, right? Focused, uh, bright, um, organize. Uh, you do your best thinking in there. It's not distracting. At the same time, a bedroom has to have yin energy, kind of that soft, relaxing energy. You don't want a bunch of bright colors in there. You don't want bright lights because that doesn't, that, that's not the intention of that space. So what I do is I break it down into the, the intention of different rooms. And then finally, we have what's called, I call optimization, which it's kind of, it's, it's relates to the intention, but what it is, is um, I'll give you an idea of the bedroom, right? So what it is, these are the little tweaks we can do to add into the intention. So in my bedroom, for instance, I use only light bulbs with no blue and no green spectrum in them. And you probably know why that is, but maybe your listeners don't. Blue and the green are the ones that wake up your brain. Right. So you got all these LEDs, you got your CFLs, that affects your melatonin level. So if your bedroom is full of fluorescent lights, even just a CFL bulb while you're reading at night, that's not going to help you getting a good sleep. It's going to perhaps push your melatonin back, make it later, and you just get worse sleep. So that's what optimization is. And there's the different tweaks you can do in every room to optimize the intention of that room. So work through it. That's kind of, there's, there's a lot in
0: there and it's, it's, a lot. it's, but what I'm seeing is, you know, I'm, I'm very involved in the sort of the, the, the healthy building movement and creating, you know, workplaces that are geared for um, yeah, employee well-being and, you know, looking at things like the well-building certification. And there's so much of what you've just described that is actually at the core of a lot of what's going into a very scientific and detailed corporate level approach to kind of achieving the same things that you've just described that as I understand and have a sort of you know a pretty serious history behind them and yet we're still to this day kind of in a sense reinventing them re- rebranding it all putting it out there as well this is this is a, a well-building standard then look we've not in, not come up with new ideas maybe more research behind it but the principles the underlying principles, man, they've got hundreds of years of history behind them. And that's what's hardly spoken about, it seems.
1: And that's what it is. It's just the principles. That's why when people say feng shui is crap, I had an argument with a guy on Instagram that I'm like, it's not crap. I'm like, there's nothing crap about it. It was a system developed to just help you maximize uh, your natural biological rhythms and your psychological energies. It's as simple as that. You know, Whatever they call it, you know, don't sleep under the moon. It's just, okay, well, that just means don't sleep in bright white light. not have a bunch of bright light because the light of the moon, they would say, oh, the light of the moon affects your sleep. Oh, whatever, woo, woo. Well, no, but they didn't have light bulbs back then. Nowadays, the feng shui master would probably say, hey, you know, don't sleep under a CFL. It's probably not the best idea and it was about living in circadian rhythms they didn't have electricity back then so it was about building your house so it would face the sun so you got the heat of the sun and all that stuff it was about even things like you'll hear about people like the different spaces in feng shui well it was because back in the day you would take your most valuable objects and you move them to the back of the house and hide them because it was the most secure place you didn't put your valuables right at your at your front door right so it's just it's yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's just we have a new way. We're re-describing old things. And that's why I found fun. That's why I call it functional feng shui. To me, it's like functional medicine in meets feng shui. So. And you, you mentioned the idea
0: of, of an office space and how these principles can be applied to that. I think you know, there's been so much happening over the last year and a half around breaking down that barrier between that used to be quite a clear dichotomy for many of us where we have a place where we live uh, where we where we sleep, we eat, you we're know, with our family, and then there's another place where we go to do our work. It might be a co-working, it might be a sort of corporate office, or just some other space where we go to to do that type of productivity. And then suddenly, we all found ourselves without that barrier, where the distinction was just broken down. And suddenly, home is also the office. Work comes home. And how are you now thinking about the home office? Because in a sense, I think that seems to be here to stay. Or many of us have discovered that there are some positives to it. So what's your take on that? How have you set up your home office and any sort of tips and suggestions
1: for people? Yeah. Well, I definitely have a home office and I probably broke one of the biggest, you know, classical feng shui no-nos, which is having your office in your bedroom. <laughs> There's nothing I could do. There's no other space in my house, right? I, I, I can't put in my kids' room. I'm not gonna do that. Can't put them in the middle of the living room because I already have a gym in the middle of my living room, which is already not the greatest spot in the world. I can't put them right now I'm in my kitchen. My kitchen's kind of my second office. But what I did is what I did is this. They what they do say is um, you know, in feng shui, you always hear about cures. You hear the word cure, which I don't like the word cure, but what it just means is mitigations. Um and what I did in my office is I decorated a little differently than the rest of the bedroom. It's on the far side of the bed, right? So it's on the complete furthest area I could put it from the bed. So I'm not staring directly at my desk when I'm sleeping, right? Cause I don't want the monitor. Just, you don't want that. I do have it set off into the so picture of my room. It's the right hand corner. So the, the window is to the left of me because I do like having a window. You really should have a window that you can see through. You know, because you're working, you want to have a window that you can peek out of every now and then. Plus, that light coming in is nice. But you don't want it directly in front of you because then you can't see your screen. You don't want it behind you because you can get a good glare. Again, feng shui, things will tell you this too, but it's just common knowledge. It's, just, it's kind of funny too. So there's the office. Uh, sorry, there's the light, the desk. And then I paint the walls differently around my desk. So they're painted in, right now they're a cream color, um, which actually came with the house. So the bedroom is white. The walls are cream but they're eventually going to be gray so i'm planning on doing like a light gray around the office to give that space a slightly separate feel the decor in the office is a little bit different than the rest of the bedroom too now something i've been toying with the idea of getting is you know one of those japanese dividers you know those wall dividers they sell them at ikea and stuff you can put it up a sort of separate your room again just my room isn't really quite big enough i think that would kind of get in the way and be more annoying so what i've done is i've just put the office you know facing away from the bed facing out a window kept the decor different and kept this slightly different color scheme on it and then again i've used optimization tools around my office so i have a standing desk um, which i basically tell my coaching clients they have to get uh, i don't say you have to get a an expensive one like i got i got a digital one you know you press the buttons and go up and down when i lived in thailand i lived in thailand for years i mean i knew the importance of standing desks well going back 20 years i've probably always kind of used a standing area so in thailand um i just had a regular table and i put a box on top and i just had my laptop there and a mouse keyboard down so i'm like it doesn't have to be expensive they have desk converters now but anyway standing desk is a must for me um i have a couple little tools that i use that i can do some exercises with when i'm at my desk and this isn't sweaty i'm not talking like getting on a sweat while i'm I'm, I'm working cause you know, I don't want to do that, but things I can do some postural exercises. I have a bar stool that adjusts different heights so I can sit on it, put my foot up. So you kind of get those different movements. I've learned to do a few different stretches I can do at my standing desk and I will put it down to sitting because there's a thing too. You don't want to just be standing in one position all day. It's really standing in one position is not a heck of a lot better than sitting in one position. You're just moving the pain or the, or the, the, the issues down the road from your back to your knees. Um, and then you got to look at, you know, other things. And this is where I screwed up a lot, actually, for years. Um, luckily it was, I caught it early enough, but not having the screen set up to eye height. So I'd be working on a bar desk, for instance, but my head would be down. Nowadays, our heads are always down because of the phone. Then you got your computer screen down too. So at the end of the day, you'd always end up kind of like this, you know, even though you were using a standing desk that you're supposed to, your neck would be sore. Now I got everything optimized. So it's all the perfect height. So ergonomics I've learned a lot about. So I would definitely say learn about ergonomics. Um, and for a regular chair, I just use a Swiss ball. I have a Swiss ball that I sit on um, instead of just a regular seat. So my standing my desk, and I'm mine for hours, it forces me though to move a lot. So and, and I have a timer set up too sometimes. So every 30 minutes, and I got to watch nowadays at reminds me. But before that, I would set a timer for 30 minutes or an hour and it would buzz and okay, time to move it down, buzz, time to move it up. So just a few little things that I've done in my office. And then essential oil, I keep um, a very scientifically purposed essential oils at my desk, um, which is largely peppermint. I use a lot of peppermint oil on my desk because peppermint's been shown to actually wake you up and help you focus. Um, I'll also use cypress there. I like to have forest smells a lot, Um, you know, biophilic design. I'm a huge fan. I got, it's uh, like 10 drops of cypress. I think only one or two drops of patchouli, too much patchouli. You start to smell like a hippie, you know, but patchouli, I like it because it does have that moss scent when you walk into a forest. Um, And then usually a drop or two of peppermint in there as well. You know, the cypress has been shown even to help rate boost your immune system, help boost focus. But at the same time, it's, not a stressful focus. It's not like it's these smells stress you out. You know, cypress and forest bathing. You know, Shinwinochi. That it's we're calming. It's calming and clarity at the same time. It's, it's very interesting. It's pretty really uh, interesting like thinking like drinking, about it. Freaking caffeine with um, it's like caffeine and you take that amino acid that calms you down, so you get the high and the low at the same time.
0: <laughs> L-theanine. Yeah, that's uh, L-theanine, I like a bit of L-theanine. It, yeah. yeah yeah but I, I like I like yeah. your approach around really thinking you know about sort of creating an experience effectively thinking about the light how you're you're physically interacting with your your workspace the sense around you and it's so a lot of that stuff that I've applied to, to gyms in the past and you mentioned the gym so I got to go there I, I'm interested to uh, dig into this topic that you you've described elsewhere around I think you use the terms conscious deliberate exercise and then passive movement so not everyone's necessarily thinking about movement in those terms but from your perspective how are you distinguishing between those two concepts
1: yeah so it comes down to um, what they call NEAT which means non-exercise activity thermogenesis People don't think about that a lot. And you know, when you think about burning calories, so what's the first thing people think about burning calories? I think go to the gym, right? It's always go to the gym, go to the gym, exercise. Well, even the most hardcore workout, at the end of the day, if you were to measure all your calories, your basal metabolic rate burns the most. That's your brain, your breathing, you know, all that sort, just being alive. It's about 60% of your calorie use in a day. The next biggest one after that is NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So you notice I'm a hand talker. I talk a lot with my hands. That, that's, a, that's neat. That is anything where I'm moving, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sweating. You know? <laughs> this isn't hard. And then after that, you got exercise and the thermogenic effect of food. Well, for me, focused exercise means that's exactly what it is. I separate between movement or what I call physical activity and exercise. Exercise to me, focused exercise means I'm going in there and I'm either putting a load on my muscular skeletal system and an outside load, or perhaps I'm putting myself into a position where there's extra load on, um, you know, like I'm doing a push-up for instance, right? There's going to be extra load on my chest that's normally not there, or there's a um, a load and or I should say stress on the heart and the lungs, right? Your heart rate's going up because you're taking it out of that typical standing and sitting zone. So that is what I call Active exercise. And it's important. It is very important, you know, but that neat, that non exercise activity, thermogenesis, that passive movement, that movement without sweating is so important. It can burn between 15 and 30% of your calories a day. And it's so easy to make that closer to that, you know, 30% and that 15% by doing simple things like using a standing desk, Um, creating environments that just force you to move more passively. You don't even think about it. One of the simplest descriptions I get is if you were to go into a room that had only standing desks, well, you're going to stand. There's no option. If you go into a room that has no furniture, you're going to sit on the floor. There's no choice, right? And sitting on the floor is not overly comfortable. So you're going to be moving around a lot. So I always talk about designing spaces, particularly your home, to really force passive health on you. And, and one of the aspects is passive movement. Um, so that's what the, like the Swiss ball, like I said, in my office core you're constantly moving on it you don't just sit it's not a lazy boy standing up so those are just it's just two really great movements so that's the way i separate them there's that low level movement that's and i call it passive because you're not thinking about it it's just your environment is forcing you to do it and then there's well i'm going to go to the gym and i'm gonna and i have my weights worked out and i know exactly what i'm going to be doing and counting my steps and reps and counting my low i
0: like i like the idea of, of having uh you know, a combination of some degree of willpower to, to make that happen, to get your sort of low level movement during the day, but also more of a systems approach. So take the desk and the, the low chair away and replace it with an alternative and then you're no longer relying on your your own uh, willpower. But the system has been put in place and boom, off you go. You can then you can scale it back, right? It's all about
1: the systems you know, and mm-hmm. having what I call it. There's a, there's a movement right now called the no furniture movement. Um, And I'm kind of a member of that movement. Mine's a little more low furniture. For almost a year, my first year and a year and a half, I moved back from Asia. Actually, I didn't really have any furniture, even a floor just on the bed. Uh, Sorry, bed on the floor. Now I have a little more, but even my furniture, whenever I buy my furniture, I ask myself, hey, is this gonna make me like just zonk out and like lazy boy for and binge on Netflix for hours, or is it not? So the only two chairs we own are Papasan chairs. Which are cool because you can flip them up like a bowl, and they actually make great meditation seats too. And they're not the hmm. most—they're com- not uncomfortable, but you, they're not—you can't sit in them for you know three hours on end with you know for the most part. They're just not the most comfortable chairs in the world. But yeah, the wife likes them too from Thailand. You know, they're she's like, oh, I grew up with these chairs, and I go, well, you guys grew up with these chairs, and you guys are in much better long-term health than we are. So lots of little secrets we take.
0: <laughs> well I like it. You you're, you're quite far out there in terms of really pushing the message. So I, I appreciate that. And I've got a feeling I know what the answer to this question this next one yep. will be. But your your take on EMFs and what the risks are in from a sort of building biology perspective for people who aren't necessarily aware of the concept and where you stand on 5G, etc.
1: Yeah. Um that that's a hard because I I think there's people that you know that people that know the science are really good and they can explain this much better than I can. But in my coaching, I do have an option to work with a building biologist named Jason Mazik And he goes into your house and he pri- primarily focuses on three things. The first one is your air quality. The second one is your water quality. And the third one, which, and honestly his biggest thing he focuses on is the EMFs in your house. And I guess it comes down to the problem is when people think of EMFs, they only think of Wi-Fi. And yet there's, you know, there's um, what he calls magnetic, which is currency. So there's magnetic fields that can affect you. There's the electric or the voltage fields that can affect you. Dirty electricity, which is kind um, can, can kind of create some problems. It's like almost like pulses and surges and then radio frequencies, which is which is your Wi-Fi and stuff like that. Obviously, you know, like I got lights all around me. We all live in houses with electricity. I'm not opposed to electricity, you know, um, but I think we, I think we should try to mitigate it when possible. You know, like whether or not you want to go as far as not having any metal in your bed, not having a, a springs in your bed, which I don't. And there's some interesting research that shows that hey, you know, the, that those all that wiring could attract and magnify fields other studies say no they don't they don't at all jason has said he's gone to places where he's held the compass up over the bed and the compass spins around right so there's a very strong magnetic field around that bed and depending it like it all comes down to what as, as jason explains it you've got the duration so how long you're in like how long you're in a space for and the distance and then there's the intensity, right? So those are the three things. So I'll say to people, well, and people that are maybe have no problems with EMFs don't believe anything that does. Well, would you put your face right in front of your microwave while you're cooking the entire time? And most people will say no. Most people would say, I don't say, well, why? If they're not if they're not worried about it, then why wouldn't you have your face in front of the microwave? Because it just doesn't feel like a smart thing to do, does it? <laughs> Whether or not, I don't know. I don't know. So I would have to say I am. Strongly concerned about EMFs. 5G, from what I understand, it doesn't sound like it's super awesome for our health. Again, it, you know, you got guys that are much better than me that I've interviewed that can talk about how the pulses that can affect the calcium signaling between nerves, um, the blood-brain p- permeability can be affected by strong EMFs. So, again, when it comes to me and my health coaching, I err on the side of caution providing it doesn't interfere with your life to the point where um, it, it's going to cause stress on your life if you got rid of it because stress is one of the worst things we can do. So if you're going to get – if if what I suggest to you is just like, man, it's going to be so hard. I can't – and it's going to bother you and be a, a negative, then don't do it. But if you can, try to cut down and, and think about your, you know, EMFs overall. And I think having a building biologist come in is a good idea. I mean, I don't think it's a great idea to have your bed right behind a wall where your refrigerator is. It's just going to create a strong magnetic field. And, you know, there's quite a bit of mood disorders. Melatonin is a big issue when it comes to Wi-Fi signals, apparently. Um, Like I said, I'm not the most professional on it, but I do err on the side of caution. Um, I'll mention it to clients and I gauge their interest and if they're interested, I'll have, you know, I'll sometimes set them up with a, a call with Jason or show them some videos I've done with Jason and then I let them decide but I really think it's a good idea to at least mitigate most of the problems if you can.
0: Nice. I appreciate that. And and in terms of uh, your thoughts then because you sort of, you bridge this gap between the world of, if you like, physical activity and physical work and training and the physical environment around us and so within that framework how do you think about rest and recovery when you're working with clients now like how big a role is that playing do you think you've seen perceptions of the importance of rest and recovery change over recent years or are you still sort of trying to push that message is it still underappreciated
1: it's it honestly it's still underappreciated i think what happens um even to me it's just like you know to me, it's like, we know about blue light and how it affects us. I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. And like, but to this day, I don't think I've met a client yet that has any idea what I'm talking about. I think the problem is a lot of the times we, people like me, health coaches and people like you too, we probably get, we kind of get cut in these circles where we'll listen to health podcasts. We'll listen to biohacking podcasts. You know, we'll listen to kind of fringe your stuff. And, and it, We hear from all these guys talking about, you might have 20 different specialists talking about how blue light affects us. We're like, wow, it's becoming so common knowledge. It's great, but it's not. It's like, go to the the grocery store right now. Everything we know about diets and nutrition, you know, everything we know, go to the grocery store right now, go to your local, I don't know what your big one is there in Spain or England, whatever, you know, for us, it's, uh, I don't know, the superstore, Canadian superstore. Go to the superstore and watch what people are buying. And it's still Cheetos and and, and Coca-Cola's and just crap. So In small circles and biohacking circles, yeah, they're learning about stress, but I would say for the majority of the population, unfortunately, it's still not. We haven't been able to reach the masses yet. Little things like yoga has become more popular, but even then we've bastardized yoga, in my opinion, to where we've just turned it into an exercise routine. It's not what real yoga is supposed to be. So, yes, I do discuss a lot about stress with my clients Um, again. I come from a bit of a, I I like the idea of meditation and breathing, but I don't use the word meditation very often, especially for guy clients Um, just because meditation still, I mean, I was anti-meditation really and and yoga. I thought it was so, you know, the first, when I was back in the day, I was teaching CrossFit and like laughing at yoga people. And then I went to Indonesia and we had a yoga class there and I tried it a few times and kind of just started to, I was so bad at it. I was like, I just wanted to get better at it. But over the years, as I learned more about yoga and about meditation, I traveled to India a couple of times. I was like, yeah, this is, this is actually something we need. And I have ADHD. I'm kind of all over the place. And for me, just focusing on, I don't even really want to say, um, I guess I don't sit and meditate and, and, and with my legs crossed like this, you know, but I'm very aware of my breathing uh, for me, so I've really in the last few years really switched to focus on my nasal breathing. So I'll teach clients about that. Um, I find a lot of the people said like that one of the problems I have with these meditation retreats and stuff is you go and people feel so zenned down and relaxed and oh, I feel great, I feel amazing. And within a month being back to the West, they're you know all stressed out again and they forgot all their lessons. So I just prefer to come at it from a, what we can do in our day to day. Um, and meditation is a great thing to work up to, but I call it breathing. So I'll talk about nasal breathing first and belly breathing after your workout. That's a big one I talk about and just two to three minutes. Then nasal breathing, period. Then I'll get into box breathing because it's a little more, you know, because, oh, Navy SEALs, box breathe. Oh, okay, well, that, that must be good. And it's really just a, a very westernized folk way of doing a meditation. So, but yes, I definitely stress, stress.
0: It kind of brings us back around to where we started, right? I mean, what, what's more elemental, and basic than breathing and yet how often do any of us really just take a moment if it's a minute or 10 minutes in the morning or the last thing at night just to reconnect and just to just to listen in and allow there to be some space in our minds not to plan or or worry or you know, relive some moment of the day or, or sort of anticipate what might happen later in the day and just yeah, connecting with the breath, really. It doesn't need to be anything yeah. spiritual.
1: No, not at all. And if you can design, like I, I talk, one of the things I talk about a lot is designing a Zen zone in your house, um, which again comes from, I've been very influenced by Eastern traditions. I think I sent you a picture of my kid in our Zen zone. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's a papasan chair. Um, and we got this cool light that hangs over top of it which we use at nighttime because that's in our living room all of our house has um, special lighting so it has circadian lighting the entire house so at 7 p.m the house goes all the blinds come down and then the house switches to those non uh, blue and green spectrum bulbs the entire thing Um, because there's no point having it if you're just going to switch on your kitchen light and you know ruin your melatonin again but The Zen Zone, you know, mine's very Eastern based. We got some cool stuff we have from Thailand and some fun stuff from Hong Kong and stuff around it. But it doesn't have to be. It can be, you know, it can be really simple. A few cushions on the floor. It doesn't even have to be a cushion on the floor. It could be a lazy. It could be anything you want. But it's a space where you go to purposely recharge and get a few minutes of me time. But again, it's not something I say to a client. Oh, great. You want to lose 10 pounds? We got to build you a meditation space. (laughs) It's something that I'll work towards down the road. Yeah, i think sort of, that space in india it's it's called a puja room it's a prayer space on all eastern cultures that spiritual zone is a part of your home and it's a part that we're severely missing here and it's not big. it could be a meter by a meter it's not a big space so i'm not saying you need a room
0: i love it thanks man it's been really interesting to get your take with a slight sort of eastern twist on a lot of themes that even you know for myself i kind of yeah, you, you get you get focused in your own world, and and sometimes you need a little bit of you know a fresh a fresh angle, a fresh perspective on things. And it's really it's really just reiterated how much of this is um, you know just part of uh, you know, a fundamental connection between us and the natural world, and the terminology, the descriptions, and the histories and traditions behind it can you know we can come at that from many different angles, but ultimately it all comes back to the same ideas, and I think you've really encapsulated that.
1: And then biophilic design is a big part of it. You know, I got my living room is I got a green wall. I see you got one to your uh, right hand side there. I think I got biophilic wall in my office. I got a biophilic wall. We got plants like going up the yin yang and we want to get more plants. But yeah, I mean, nature is a huge element of it. And then Feng Shui always talked about nature, too. right? It always talked about the importance of nature when you look at like you you talked earlier about um, it was like, you know, you look at all the old Buddhist temples, they'd always have a courtyard in the middle, you know, um, you look at and you want to take that to the most modern, crazy, extreme Singapore, like Singapore's airport, a vortex waterfall to create negative ions in a jungle. I mean, Singapore, that's where I got really interested in bioflick design I was visiting Singapore. I mean, that place, if you're going to look at a place, that's just, what is the poster child for modern and biophilic design, and they've put it together and, they, and they've done it on purpose. I mean, so the, the biophilic design, I think, is just a huge aspect that's so important. So I really try to get people into biophilia as much as I can. You know, even if it, even if it's a fake green wall, it's still better. I mean, hell, they've shown just pictures of nature can make people feel better. So if that could, if that's what a picture can do. Just imagine what real plants can do. And then to the level you can take it to.
0: I'm with you. And I noticed you've got lots of fresh herbs, it looks like, in the background there in your, in your kitchen, which is another one because they're adding aroma and scent, right? And it's sort of doubling we up.
1: Got yeah, we got it. we got basil going on here. I got sprouts growing. You know, we, we got the whole thing. And that's part of the nourishing kitchen. You know, I got a green, green, clean, nourishing kitchen, you know, where it's, again, it's just talking about natural cleaners I've talked about and then uh, having clean whole foods, not junk foods, and then obviously nourishment is that whole thing put together. I, you want to have a kitchen that inspires you to eat healthy, not stinky, bright, organized. We got, you know, one of the things in the in the blue zones, right? They tell fruit bowls on the table. Well, I mean, ours is empty right now. We do have three fruit bowls behind here, but we just ran out of bananas today. Our good fruits are always on display, and the crappy foods are either not in the house or they're hiding pretty good. So, again, just more little tips. So yeah, Lots of tips. I love it. Yeah, basic, common sense, but it just – it's so helpful to be
0: reminded, and it can seem – so yeah immediately makes complete sense to me but you think well yeah are things on display or are they hidden away in the fridge okay well maybe i could just bring them out of there and have them you know visible in the kitchen and that would have an impact on on my mood oh, or- if I, if
1: I have oreos out here if i see them i mean <laughs> like it's true it's true if i so i got a little junk food that i do keep on display it's my dark chocolate covered almonds and i even eat more of those than i really should but
0: you got you to hide them away somewhere in a corner right like, that's it yeah, okay. <laughs> well thanks so much man so listen where can people find you what's the best way to keep in touch i know you have your own podcast your youtube channel
1: yep well there's a couple um like i said my own help podcast is health by design uh which they can check that out and then youtube is just almost everything for me is royal alexander i'm royal and that's just r-o-r not r-o-a-r i'm not a line um, so Roar Alexander, at, you know, find me on Instagram. Facebook's probably my best one. Uh, I tend to deal with an older audience, you know, in the, like mid thirties, forties, fifties. So Facebook's still the place. I, I do have a TikTok, but I, I don't understand that one. <laughs> I don't really bother much with that. And but my main fo- place I like the best, cause I kind of host everything there is my website, which is again, just RoarAlexander.com. And then you can link to everything from there. It's my resource for blog video we'll link to everything in the show notes well thanks so much for your time man no problem thank you